0: The Westwood One Podcast Network. Two games <laughs> <laughs> never quit, two games never quit, game never quit radio. You ever think about quitting?
1: It's the combat of life hammering the snot out of you. Well, stand by, dig in deep, and get ready to get fired up with us. Welcome to the Team Never Quit podcast, the number one podcast that inspires you to fight on. I'm
2: your host, David Rutt Rutherford, here with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell. Our mission is to help you embrace the suck of life, to teach you the values of working your ass off. And to interview the most hard charging people on planet Earth. We know life is hard. It's time for you to suck it up, Buttercup, and let us teach you to
1: persevere in every environment imaginable by sharing real world lessons learned by those who never quit. That's right. It's time, Marcus, for us to help them defeat the well, negative you fire insurgency. Me up, man, in their you lives. fire me up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. Let's roll. roll. Marcus, greatest baseball movie ever. Go. Mm. Wow. The natural? Nah, yeah, that's mine right off the bat, dude. Or right off the bat. Why? Because the guy goes in, he's this young buck, he oh, strikes out Babe Ruth or whoever the hell that guy was. He hooks up with the wrong lady, gets shot, disappears. <laughs> team <guy>. Total team, <laughs> team guys. Guy it. Baseball. Team guys, right. because he's the allure of, of all that nonsense. With it, gets shot, goes away, and comes back. Right? And remember his bat. Remember? Oh yeah, Wonder, yeah, boy. wonder boy. Right? Pick me out a winner. You're Bobby. A Wonder
3: Boy. Yeah. I do take.
1: Thank I you for
2: acknowledging that. that. Thank you for acknowledging that. <laughs> stole that line from Coster in my head when um, we're about to get into something. Clear the mechanism. From the greatest game, where he was the pitcher. No, that's Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When he was on the mound, he'd say, "Clear the mechanism," and the stadium would go away. Yeah, yeah. I, I I would say that. That, that cop, I still do it to this day. Do you really? Yeah. Uh, God, that's that's a great one. That's way out of the ballpark there, Costner.
1: I I think he's got, he's got that one. He's got what was the other field of dreams, Dreams. right? Oh man. Oh man. First off, wizard, did you play baseball?
3: I did for a couple of years.
1: Did you? What position did Sandlot. you play? High. Junior high. what position? First base. First base? Do you play baseball? Of course. What position? Third base? Third base? Mm. Right on. Sandlot. Sandlot. Right on. Phenomenal. And, and you're, right. You're killing me. What's it? You're, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls. There was a that dude they did a documentary in that recently. Major
2: League. Oh. Wild thing. How do we miss out? You one? make my heart sing. You make everything. it's gonna have to be Major League in the Natural, right? Because it's the two opposites. Two opposites. That's two opposites yeah. great. Well that's there's so other great fun. baseball
3: movies um, aren't there? Yeah, there's uh there's Mr. Baseball with the greatest actor ever, Tom Selleck. <laughs> Magnum P. I. Navy SEAL. I'm sorry, that's not true. Second greatest. We all know the first greatest actor is right. Ryan Reynolds. Dude, he's so he's so
1: he's so attractive. The he's only so time he supple. doesn't
3: win well, like, an award yeah, you're, 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 you're is can is when he just USC. turns it down so someone else can win Right, award. Right? Yeah. You're oh, starting no, to sounds... throw
1: some
2: Chuck Norris twists on Ryan Reynolds, bro. I like that. I like that a lot. He's a gentleman to do that. He's oh, such a he gentleman does. to do that. He,
1: it is gentlemanly. <laughs> Ryan's a gentleman. I love Ryan. Come on to show, buddy. Come on with us. What's another great baseball movie? You got him. Pull them up over there. Let me see what you got. Baseball Start throwing them bigies. out at us.
3: Let's see. Because
1: we have got a baseball, a real life
2: baseball legend coming on here. Older. Oh my god.
1: Tom, when, when Tom Hanks is,
2: is the uh, what? is the coach. Tom Hanks is the coach. League of their own. Oh,
1: Dude. there's no crying in baseball. <laughs> baseball.
2: <laughs> there's no crying. We're about to get. There's one we're missing, right?
3: Obviously. It's kind of like, He's got them there's all a There's a modern one. Uh, I, I kind of liked it, but what do you think of Moneyball?
1: Oh, awesome. Yeah, it's good, man. Oh, Brad Pitt and what's his name, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that changed baseball, that old thing.
2: Build a Dreams, Natural, those, man. That's those those
1: natural's my favorite, but I'm also, I'm always a sucker for the underdog, you know? I'll tell you what, man, working with the Red Sox. Has changed my entire appreciation. There's been two pivotal moments in my life. Cause I hated baseball. I sucked at baseball. You know why I sucked? Because of John Brown. John Brown in sixth grade, right? Because I started t-ball fourth, four years old. In John sixth Brown. grade, first time we're doing fast pitch, right?
2: Oh, you yeah, Blaze? <laughs>
1: John Brown was the kid that went whoop, right? Four inches taller than everybody. You know, he's like a hundred pounds. We're all on sixty pounds still right, he's throwing 60, 65-mile-an-hour pitches and can't keep it anywhere he wants it. So literally every practice you're getting beamed by John Brown. And so You
3: have PTSD from
1: John Brown? I have post-traumatic stress disorder from John Brown, sixth grade, playing baseball <laughs> in the city leagues, dude. And after that, I could never get in the box. And the other problem for me was, because I had a cannon for an arm, which I still do, they wanted me to pitch. Uh But there was a problem because your throwing motion as a quarterback is different than your release motion in a baseball. And I was petrified that if I pitched, I would ruin my arm for football. So i never pitched. So I'd be out in left field out there, and I'd throw the ball over the backstop. I'd throw it way past third base guy. So I was not very good. So I hated it. I gave it up. I quit, right? I, I started. I, I went to lacrosse. But what was it? When Ken Burns came out with that documentary on can baseball. can make some
2: documentaries, man. Bro, we got to mm. get him on. on Ugh, dude.
1: You know guy. what I mean?
2: I mean, he knows it, also, Rainy days, if it's not Lonesome Dove, it's a holiday rainy day. It's Lonesome Dove, but man, you throw in those Ken Burns documentaries. Oh
1: my God, he just the one he just came out with, Vietnam, Vietnam, powerful, bro. But it was the baseball Civil one. War one. Oh, that was the one who first got me hooked. I watched like consecutive, I still all, them, eighteen hours of that thing, dude. But and the Ken burned
2: out. <laughs> I'm Ken, Byrne, I'm oh, Ken Burns. I'm Ken Burns.
1: Right, the Ken Burns effect on your Apple computer, right? But but I watched that, and it was an appreciation for the nuances of baseball because baseball is is. Uh, really the most incredible game because it's about failure much like seal training is it's about failure it's how you condition yourself to manage failure it's a lot like life right how you manage your failure and more than your success and it's this wonderful calculated game between a pitcher and a hitter with some infielders but it's an incredible incredible sport i feel unbelievably privileged you know to To somehow be attributable. Yeah, that's cool you with got it. that. Well, dude, I mean, right now, this year, Sox,
2: That organization is great. I've, oh. I've been over there a couple of times to visit. Man, they're all bro. Out.
1: It's one of the best organizations I've ever been out. One of the most gratifying professional experiences of my life. And this year, should they go and and do well at the World Series. I'm. I'm. I will have worked with the Oregon State Beavers. They won a college World Series, and there's a potential that the Red Sox could win this World Series. It would be an epic year for old Ruddy Rut Rut. <laughs> old Ruddy Rut Rut, dude. Welcome epic. to the Team Never Quit Podcast, Wizard. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. Are Are you glad to be here?
3: It's such a blessing to be here with you both. <laughs>
1: I can't tell. Give me your give me your download. <laughs> Where's your gut coming in on that one, big guy?
2: Well, that's me, though. All right, we'll keep going. <laughs>
1: would, you, would you rate my genuine? <laughs> Welcome to the Team Never Quit podcast. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford with Mr. Never Quit himself. Mr. Baseball himself, Marcus <laughs> Littrell.
2: <laughs> and Melanie's a huge Astros fan. Uh, huge baseball fan. But I mean dude, I, I like a I didn't, I didn't know that. You guys that. went to
1: every single. Man, she is. Game <clears throat> of the World Series, didn't you? That yeah, was Lady here.
2: Bush, before she passed, she, she was a diehard Astros fan. Did you know that? I, I didn't go know down that. To see. They go to watch the games, I had to go down and say hello to them. Do not talk to her while the game is being played.
1: You cannot talk oh, to Barbara a, Bush.
2: Uh, oh. Right. No, you can't. No. Like, get out of here. <laughs> she had a paper. She'd keep I mean, she was all about it. She loved baseball. And, and then. Melanie come to find out she loves baseball it's fun to watch I have it on the tv the kids I mean it's a great game
1: it is a great game man I I, and I'll tell you what you know that was
2: her Christmas present was Santa was assigned baseball by one of them
1: really by one of those guys huh that's pretty epic present right there it was thank you man awesome awesome Hmm. well welcome to the team never quit podcast we like to think of our podcast as America's pastime podcast. <laughs> we like to think of us it. in the same sentence as baseball, apple pie, and the TNQ podcast. <laughs>
2: the tire, sliced bread, and then the TNQ
3: podcast. That's it right there. We yeah. are
2: America, right? After you go Harley and, and watch Davidson your, Motorcycles, yeah. Ford and Mustangs. Rocky.
3: TNQ and, and TNQ
2: <laughs> podcast.
1: I love it, man. That's what we are. So if this is your first show, man, God bless you. Thanks for finding us. If you're coming back for more, you're rounding the bases again, we love you. Thank you so much because without you, we would be nowhere near where we are in the terms of the success we're having.
3: We'd be just sitting in a room talking to ourselves. <laughs> My think that's that's on our own Without you guys, we
2: couldn't. Yeah, we know that one. That's a, <laughs> Is that a dumb
1: statement? <laughs> I thought this would not be I encouraged. think you got to be able to recognize it, right? I mean, we could
2: just be uh, said, uh, "Yeah, as, you should recognize it." Right? Every time we come on here, we recognize the fact that. Without them coming back to listen to it, we could not do this. We would so not thank you do so much. It,
1: it would end ended two years ago after our first. After <laughs> we would first not be enabled like to crashed. continue this psychosis. <laughs> it, 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 thank you. I like that you call it psychosis, <laughs> even though it sounds somewhat negative. <laughs> calamity. The calamity oh, of the TMQ. it all. All right. Well, welcome to the Team Never Quit podcast. If you want to know more, please. Visit our website at TNQpodcast.com where you can also check out, which is my favorite, just hundreds of stories of of listener write-in stories where our listeners have been courageous enough to write in their greatest never quit stories, man. And I, I'm telling you, the collection that we have now is absolutely remarkable. It, it would make your head spin when you read these stories. because the one thing, Marcus and we talked this talk about this wizard is we understand what unites us is the pain we all experience. And we understand that. It's hard. It's tough to face incredible adversity, to overcome obstacles, and to figure out what never quit means to you, and that's why we do it, and we thank you for sharing your story. Absolutely. You know what else is getting ready to happen again, Marcus? Absolutely, you know, but they need to know. The Patriot Tour, bud. It is. We got the band back together. The band is back together, bro. How do you keep talking... Chad and Taya and Goggins
2: oh, to keep doing this with I keep you. keep trying bud. to talk him out of it.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> we have we you know we we went to Broadway last year and man that I I was it was but um, more people wanted to watch it. It's it's not you know, it's kind of one of those deals. It's a uh, comedy, a drama. It's a it's a patriot patriotic play, if you will. People who went through real situations and kind of have the that humor to bring it out on stage. So it's, um, we got the sponsors now.
1: Oh man. Absolutely. When you have the group like benchmark Morgan to come in and spot, helping out with mills entertainment, man, it's going to, it's the type of first rate production, the first rate, and, and this is family entertainment, too. That's I mean, the one thing that I, it just fires me up about it is this is a show you can bring your kids to. This is a show you can bring your family to. This is a show that you reach out to the friend who's struggling, the person who's going through that challenge. You bring them in. You just go to the show, and you're going to see some of the great American heroes and patriots that we have in this country. I hear
2: that, and people say that a lot. It's a therapy.
1: Amen. Like Amen. Going it sitting is sitting
2: into a, a therapy group.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> if you want to know more, here are the dates: November fourteenth in Houston, Texas, hometown. November fourteenth, November sixteenth at the BJCC Center in Birmingham, Alabama, Alabama, and November eighteenth at the Paramount Theater in one of my favorite towns, Denver. Colorado. So go ahead and visit uh, the website at teamneverquit.com forward slash Patriot tour, where you can buy your tickets today for any one of those shows. And you can also purchase MIP tickets where you can get a chance to meet and hang out with Marcus Luttrell, Taya Kyle, Chad Fleming, and the one and only David Goggins. Goggins. Awesome. <laughs> Listen, and if you get a wild hair going, please go to our site and pick up some team never quit swag. We've got t-shirts hats. We got, we got podcast t-shirts. the Man, gears in the gears in the load out, the load out the load out. go get it. go get it. All right. Uh, if you want to follow us, you can follow us all. Marcus is at Marcus Luttrell. I am at Team Frog Logic. And the wizard is at the underscore wizard underscore TNQ on Instagram, baby. That's it. Now, listen to our listeners. It's rare that you get to bring an icon onto a show, right? It's rare that we get to have a person that has had one of the most profound impacts in any particular industry or sport or group or whatever, a profound impact in the history of that particular endeavor. The man that's coming on today is that man. The wizard is going to go down his, his resume here in a minute, which is going to take probably about another 25 (laughs) minutes. But what I want to say is I, I, I've had the incredible opportunity of getting to know him. I got to have dinner with this man a few weeks ago. And in the two hours we were together, I learned more about leadership, influence, teamwork than I have in a long, long time. It is going to be one of the true honors of my life to be able to interview Mr. Tony LaRussa.
3: Yeah, you've been talking pretty highly about him. And not only you, but we had... Rob O'Neill on here not too long ago, and we asked him that Mad Minute question about anyone who had had an influence on him or he was really impressed with recently, and that was where Tony came up. And I'm very curious just to see. I mean, those are two, you know, two wow, big votes Wow, mine's for him. a big vote, wizard. Being kind,
1: ah! <laughs> <laughs> that's tight, isn't it, Mark? Why does he do that to me, dude? <laughs> Keep me in on. check. Keep me in no, check. No,
3: it is. You just, you just opened yourself up for it. I, I know myself. I did. I botied myself for up. For as long as he's <laughs> been
2: in the sport, and for anybody who can manage those kind of um, alphas and baseball, those kind of characters, like raising the kids all the time, right? Oh, Keeping them in check, they? and then push them. He'll definitely drop some wisdom on us. (laughs) Oh
1: my God, the guy has seen it and done it all. Thirty-three years. All right, wizard. I I could get caught up in my and you know, given the accolades. So please give us the lowdown on this. Yeah, let me
3: run. Let me run through this real quick. I'll try to keep it brief. But Tony La Russa uh, from Tampa, Florida. He's a Hall of Fame Major League Baseball manager and former player. Currently, he's a president of baseball operations for the Red Sox. As a player, his story starts at least professionally with Kansas City in 1963. Now, for the next 10 years, those next 10 seasons, he went between the minor leagues and the majors. He had some injury issues and whatnot. Not the most impressive playing career, and he will admit that. But what he did in the transition between discovering, man- you know, moving into management, coaching baseball, and being a player was he went to school. I mean, he got a he got a law degree. But when he started managing in 79 with the White Sox, he basically fell in love with that and that had launched the, you know, that launched him into a career which you know, he's become a legend. He worked with the with the White Sox, he worked with the athletics for a long time, St. Louis Cardinals. He is the third most winning manager in baseball history. The only one, in the modern area, I mean, he has two thousand seven hundred and twenty-eight wins.
1: Unbelievable, in oh, man! In five
3: thousand and ninety-three games over his thirty-three years in Major League Baseball, five thousand ninety-three
1: games managed. Five
3: thousand ninety-three games. God. He is. Uh, well, he's been. He's taken his team to the World Series six times. Won three of those. Manager of the Year four times. Inductee into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, and like, like we mentioned before, right now, he's working uh, with the Boston Red Sox. That's where you know Dave uh, was introduced to him and has started to develop a relationship. And look what he's doing there, what he's helping doing
1: there, baby. Right, he's
3: assisting in player development, uh, serving as an advisor to the team's coaching staff. Yeah, dude. Because
2: I mean, you think he's probably
3: seen some stuff.
1: <laughs> Bro, he, when, when, when <laughs> he was like, hey,
2: you do pretty, ah, won some, lost some. Yeah, right? Yeah, three and and he's he's, like that, too,
1: dude. It's crazy. But here's a guy, and people, when you start talking about the history of it, his last World Series was in 2011, and the one before that was 2006. So it's not like it was back in the 80s when, you know, back in right, the day, right. man. This is modern, dealing with modern people, modern kids, modern everything. He has a wealth and depth of knowledge that's helping, you know, I mean, shape. Uh, I mean, the Sox. Look at the Sox just won. The the more wins in Red Sox history this year with him as a part of that team.
2: You're going to be surprised how relevant what he has to say on baseball pertains to everyday life.
1: Oh, my God. It's just, you know, you look at, and, and we're talking about Houston, you know, Alex Cora was Houston's bench coach last year comes over after that, brought that winning mentality over to the Sox. They've won more games in Red Sox history. They're going into playoffs now. They've got Tony La Russa. They've got Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez, two guys in the running for MVP. I'm telling you, this is, when you ha- when you put great championship caliber leadership together, amazing things happen, dude. Amazing things happen. What do you think, dude? Are you ready?
3: Are we ready? Are you
1: ready, buddy?
3: Yeah, man.
2: Take me out to the ball game.
1: Marcus, it's... It's not often where you're able to bring somebody on the show that has more wisdom about a particular piece of information than just about everybody else out there. Somebody that can truly bestow a paternal knowledge of fortitude, the intestinal uh, focus to be able to battle through years and years of, of, of hard fought fights, right? I mean, somebody, when you look at them, they'll They'll throw their arm around you and they'll be like, son, let me tell you a story. And you absolutely <laughs> shut up because, you know, the next 25 words out of their mouth are going to be so poignant, so pivotal, so monumentous that you're going to take away gems, pearls, if you will, of wisdom that can ultimately shape
2: your life forever. As one of those guys you stand next to and, and learn something every time. Right because yeah, baseball is kind of like life. And if you got somebody who is a who is well versed in baseball, they're probably well versed in life. You know what I mean? It's well, what a the, great analogy! I'll look on it—it's fast-paced sometimes, and then it's slow-paced. It's a, every every nuance of it, it kind of can trickle into a regular life. So if you have somebody who is who can pay attention and like he does, and does and has done what he's done, yeah, I can't wait. It's just one of those deals where this is going to be a good time. This is going to be awesome. So are you boys ready? Without further ado,
1: ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children (laughs) of all ages, I would like to welcome to the show Hall of Fame manager, Mr. Tony LaRussa. Sir, thank you so much for being with us.
0: Well, you just intimidated me because that introduction, man, I don't know if I can live up to that one, but I'm going to do my best.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just do what you do every time you talk to a bunch of little whippersnappers.
2: (laughs) Yeah, don't be intimidated. The reason we're like this is because of you. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Exactly, exactly. All right, well, sir, before we jump into the the nuts and bolts, the nitty-gritty of the show... We're going to have to first limber up, warm up a bit, if you will. Take a few cuts in the batting box to get your prefrontal cortex dialed in and ready for us to zing some fastballs at you with the Mad Minute. Are you prepared to answer the most difficult questions in your <laughs> life, sir? <laughs> uh,
0: I, I'm, I'm prepared. I'll do my best.
2: All right. Awesome. All right, Marcus, fire away. Oh, it's our favorite time of day.
0: Uh, well, I think my favorite day, different time of day is, uh, end of the day. Uh, you know, when you've had a full day where you've put a lot into something that you think is important and then you, I like to reflect. I've been taught to reflect back on how it went so you can learn and improve going forward. So I like the end of the day, the best.
1: Me Hmm. too. That's my favorite, too. All those people who get up real early to hell with you. I can't stand you. (laughs) The sense of
2: accomplishment.
3: I dig it. All right, Wizard. I dig it. All right, what is a hobby or skill you've always wanted to have, perhaps for a long time, but you have not yet learned it?
0: Well, that's a good one, because uh, I've never answered this question because nobody's ever asked me it. But I always wanted to learn to play the piano. Oh, cool. uh, And if I and you know, I've mm-hmm. kind of challenged myself. You know, if I have, you know, when I retired or something, if I ever felt like I had some time, I'd love to play the piano. And I've, I've never uh, taken the steps to do it. Wow, that's, that's a true, great right? answer. Been like yeah. somewhere
2: and there happens to be a piano, and someone sits down and just starts racking it out. You're like, man, that's cool, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. My, I've been, I've been able one, to Jerry Lee Lewis, "Great yeah. Balls of Fire" song. <laughs> <laughs> have that in your
0: repertoire, so if you there is a piano somewhere, you're like, watch this. <laughs> you know, it's you know who I meant was. Years ago, I met Bruce Hornsby, oh, wow. and he's become a friend. So I've I've been at his concert probably twenty times over the years, and uh, and that that inspires me. Except I had never have tried it, but uh, the answer is a piano man. That's a, that's a great question. That I hope you get around to question.
1: it. Yeah. he. Well, if he, I don't know if he knows what actual retirement is. I just don't hey, think. He strikes me as that kind of guy, too. <laughs> so you're going to be a pianist next,
2: next round. <laughs> yeah, right, right.
1: All right, here you go. If you could have managed any other sport, and at what period during history you could manage, what sport and when would it be? And what team, if you want to even go more specific?
0: I think I would pick, uh, I'd like to manage or be the captain of the Ryder Cup. Oh, that's Uh, cool. cool. It's my favorite sporting event. You know, it's on right now. As a matter of fact, today's the first day. And, you know, you're playing for your country against Europe. And uh, whether you're playing President's Cup against, you know, know, the the other uh, part of the country, other other part of the world. But you have all these talented guys that uh, make a living playing for themselves and then you bring them together and it's just amazing to me fascinating to see you know how t- tight they get and, and how motivated they are to uh mm. to perform under the the team pressure so uh I think if I had my choice and then I would love to have picked uh, the era where you know Nicholas and and uh, Palmer yeah. and uh uh you know uh, you know uh, Trevino and those guys are playing Gary Player that would have been uh the golden era.
1: Yeah, it was, for sure. It was funny. I used to uh, play football against Jack Nicholas's son in, up in Palm Beach, and and he would come to the games and, and stand on top of the gym, right, and watch over. And I, I'd always just be in <laughs> awe you know, that the greatest golfer in history was, is, is at my game, man. It was a cool thing. His oh, grandson
2: plays ball, too. Oh, I know. It's good. Real good. Uh, uh, All right, Marcus, fire away. Okay, sir, what's your greatest memory Ooh! wow. Uh, Let's go with fondest, because greatest kind of, yeah. it's hard to do that with a life like yours. Why don't we have one of your fondest memories?
0: Well, on the personal side, I think it's probably uh, in 1991, our family, my wife Elaine and our daughters, Bianca and Devin, we, you know, we love companion animals, and we started something called the Animal Rescue Foundation, and 27 seven years later, it's still going strong. I think on the personal side, that's it's had a lot of meaning. Uh and uh and you know, I think that's that's the real highlight. Professional side, uh, you know, you start to answer maybe winning a World Series, but I'll tell you my best moment has been that you know, we've and you guys would understand this, we always try to create on our baseball team a a a brotherhood, you know, a family feeling. Like what you do in the military, you know, you you're accountable to the guy next to you and Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, th- I think over the, uh, the 30 years, we were really successful because we had players that bought into the concept. We had coaches that uh, that embraced it as well. So my best memory mm-hmm. is, on the professional side, are just the relationships. Very cool. Yeah. Very sure. cool. Absolutely.
3: All right. Let's go with, um, would you rather have one life that lasted 1,000 years or 10 lives, each being 100 years? Wow.
0: Yeah. Man, that's... Watch out for that's the a, wizard,
3: Tony. He's gonna hit you. Every well, time. <laughs>
0: now, now I understand why you call him the wizard. I probably go for I, I probably go for ten times a hundred, you know, just because you'd have a variety of of experiences.
1: Yeah, yeah a variety. That's the, that's of good stories to pull along with yeah, it. Yeah, I love the variety. All right, okay. It, if you could pull out one or two of the greatest pieces of information you've had from your various mentors or people you've worked with or people you've met. What are one or two of those really things that stick out in your mind, which have made you the man you are and the success you've had?
0: Uh, Well, I think I would start it it, um, with personalization. In other words, you know, nowadays there's so much, so many distractions if you're a leader you, you've got to figure a way to get past the distractions that uh you know the, the people that you're being involved with and the way you do it is you try to personalize you know your uh your commitment you know commitment is just a promise to do something so my dad started me on it because he told me you know over your over your life he says you know sometimes people are fooled by you but don't ever fool yourself and i think that uh the fact i mean this sounds corny but you know, I, I managed over five thousand games. Before every one of those games, I would look in the mirror before I left my office, and I said, "When the game is over, I do not want to be embarrassed to, to look at to look at the guy." Which means during the game, hmm. it, I was going to personalize my best efforts. If it wasn't good enough, it wasn't good enough. But I was going to try my best. So I, I think that personalization is is the key to the kingdom for a lot of people, just to you know make themselves accountable. And then the second one that comes to mind uh, is the value of, of learning. You know, if you're you have, you're lucky enough to be involved in an occupation where you have a passion and a love for it, then what goes right along with it is the, uh, the, the need to learn as much as you can about what you're doing. And, and I had a great, great mentor named George Kissel with the St. Louis Cardinals. Right. He told me, he says, if you want to manage, son – you, you got to let me know that you love the game. I said, I love it, George. And what that means is that you got to learn. And the more you learn, the more you're going to love it. And the more you love it, the more you're going to want to learn. I believe that learning about what what you're involved with feeds that passion. And with that comes success. Yeah.
1: Amen. Amen wow. to that. Wow. Heavy. All right, Marcus. All right. Fire away, bud. We could end the show on that, but I think we're gonna we're going to keep going. All right, sir. Who's your favorite
2: superhero?
0: Uh, you know, the one guy that I uh that, that, that just historically I have always just you know sometimes they ask you a question who would you like to go to dinner with if you could pick one, and and I have since I was old enough to remember that I I knew had a clue about anything I always talked about General Eisenhower. Awesome. And to me, mm. the fact that he led that you know the alliance the allies. Mm-hmm. The pressure, what was at the stake there? You know, if he just screwed up, who knows what the world would be like. I, my, my superhero is uh, General Dwight David Eisenhower.
1: Oh, that's awesome. That's got to be the best
2: answer we've had so
1: far. Yeah,
3: the, man with, the man with leading the greatest generation,
2: right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Eisenhower got brought up the other day, man. That's, yeah. Sick, that's
3: good, yeah. That's, that's epic. Like.
2: All right,
3: Wizard. All right, as a, uh, as a man with some life under his belt, I'd like you to uh, give us one element of America from the past. Which has disappeared? Which has disappeared? But you'd like to see it revived. And then on the other uh, side of that, one element of modern America, you feel far better than when you were young.
1: Damn wizard! That uh, I mean, just my mind we're, just melted on dropping on, on that. him right now, God, but he's coming right I back. I told him it was going to be a real fun interview. <laughs>
3: <laughs> His solid answers are encouraging. This punishment. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was kind of hoping we wouldn't get back to the wizard, Mick, because that's. <laughs> he he test. Uh,
2: there was gonna be a test that I had to study.
0: <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I think you know. I remember you know. I'm I'm, I'm in my 70s, brother. So uh, I remember when uh, life was simpler, mm-hmm. and there weren't there weren't as many gadgets. And uh, you know, it was <clears throat> now. You it's things are so uh, impersonal in ways. You know, you get on your your phone and you text. And you do all that. <clears throat> in the old days. Uh, you know, there was much more family time, and you did. You know, you used to go to a park and just spend time with your family, play little games. Uh, now, you know, that's mm. there'd be like a picnic every weekend where the whole family get together. I just think that sometimes simple, simple is better than complicated, 'cause complicated, you know, just it confuses you. Yeah, uh, I'm trying hard to think of what what is modern that's that's better. Uh and i'm not sure you know maybe could just to coincide i'm stretching cuz i really like the old times better but to mm-hmm. to coincide with what i said about learning you know there are if you want to learn about something like play the piano for example you know there's there are, there's a lot of access that you can get to to yeah. learn about whatever it is that you're interested in so i think maybe the access to learning is, is the best part of the modern days
3: awesome that could be one of the most powerful elements of the modern world the accessibility information that's a great answer absolutely all
1: right well that is the the mad minute right there what wizard what was Uh, that that was like
3: 11 minutes and 72 seconds better known as 12 minutes and 12 seconds
1: (laughs) well (laughs) he keeps us honest tony he keeps us honest well thank you so much for those really heartfelt answers um but the we've we've got to shift up a little ne- bit now. The reason why we believe we've had so much success with our show is because people from all walks of life, from all cultures, all backgrounds, everybody struggles. and everybody understands what that struggle means and understands hardship and and challenging aspects of their life, both personally and professionally. And so we, we wanted to create a space, a positive space for those people to come to pull away, you know, great pieces of wisdom from really remarkable individuals who've, who followed their dreams and who have done amazing things with their lives, you know, physically, mentally, spiritually. Um, and so, Mr. LaRusso, would you please, please share with our listeners Your greatest never quits story or stories.
0: Yeah, well, um, I would say uh, probably the one from my uh, from my baseball career. Because you think about it, you know, I never have worked a day in my life. I graduated (laughs) from high school that night. There wasn't a draft those days. uh, Scouts from whatever team could come to the house soon as you got your diploma and offer you a contract. So I signed that night when I was 17 years old. Wow. And, and I got right into professional baseball and I ended up playing most of the time poorly, but I played for 16 years. And I think the never quit thing, the only place I ever gave myself or do give myself any credit as far as my playing career was that I never quit in the face of a lot of injuries. Uh, The first six years that I played five of the six, I had ma- major, major breaks, you know, like I got my knee torn up on a double play, dislocated my shoulder when I dove for a ball, tore muscles in my back hurt my arm. I mean, all kind of, and it, as I grew up and I ended up, you know, I was the first six and I played 10 more years. I would, I would look back as man, why did I hang? Why did I hang with it? Part of it was my love of the game, but it was just, I never wanted to quit because I was, I was hurt. I could understand somebody telling me, hey, you ain't any good, and we don't need you. <laughs> and, 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 you know, that's, cause that's not quitting. That's just being told it's time for you to leave. But I look back at, at, uh, at hanging in there and playing 10 more years where I, you know, I had a lot of sore spots, but uh, ended up having you know a, a respectful minor league career. But it also set me up for having a, a, a toughness and an understanding that if you kept pursuing something that you love, Something good could happen, and that became the managing. Hmm. So uh, I, I do believe that the, you know the, the, the never quit as a as a young player when I had all kind of reasons, you know, to quit just because it was hurting so much. I think that was uh, valuable. And then you know, when you transition into the managing, you know, I started managing when I was in my thirties, and um, uh, I can remember that the thing I realized more than anything else was that you were a leader. You know, if you were a manager, it was, you know, it, it wasn't like you were leading in the corporation or you're leading the country or you're leading, you know, men in battle, but you know, you're leading the baseball team. So I really studied, uh, I love to read. And during the winter, I would always study books on leaders, trying to learn. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then every once in a while in my managerial career, I ran into somebody that was one of the leaders that I had been reading about. And i tell you that I'm not making this up. I'm sitting in my office here in Fenway park and David's been in here <laughs> and I'm looking on the wall and I'm looking at a picture of general Hal Moore.
2: Wow. Mm. We, we were
0: soldiers. You know, I, I, well, we were soldiers. You guys know who he is. Yes, sir. Well, uh, a, a great friend named Dick strong brought general Moore to spring training in the early two thousands. Uh, and he came to spring training every year until I retired and uh, we went used to go to dinner and this amazing man uh, who I think this is a this is so beautiful it's uh, and you guys probably know this but this amazing man who fought in uh, in Korea and mm-hmm. led men in Korea then went to Vietnam in his whole career uh, they they ended up in West Point they have this warrior program and they ended up naming the, the male and female cadet warrior of the year gets the, the general Hal Moore award, right? Wow. Hmm. Well, we were at that presentation that day. I went to West point the day that they, they started that and they gave out a brochure. Do you know that in his entire leadership career when he, you know, he was famous for saying that he was going to be the first one off the helicopter and the last one off yep. and no man would be left behind. Do you know in his whole career he never had one missing in action or prisoner of war. Wow. That's incredible. I, I can't believe it. It's, I, it's, I, I believe it, but he just had this, these, these qualities wow. of leadership. And one of them was never quit. There's always something else you can do. In fact, I, I, you know, I've mm-hmm. got his books, you know, where he talks about that. And I'll mm-hmm. give you a cute, uh, uh add on to that. He so he said, you know, one of his leadership things, he had about 10 things as a leader when things aren't working or never, ever say that, you know, that you've done all you can do. He said, there's always something else you can do. You never quit. You never give in. And once he became a fan of baseball, he told me late in his, in his life, he says, you know, because you guys have made me feel like I'm a part of the Cardinals. I changed that one to where now I say three strikes and you're not out.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. And that beautiful. Mm-hmm. What, man? That mm-hmm. is amazing. Yeah. So, the one thing that I, it just fascinates me is the 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 length of your career, right? And from the moment you started playing to even now, I mean you're still entrenched in baseball at the highest levels. So throughout those years you've you've come to understand the game as good as as anybody that's out there. And me being new to the game and trying and having to work with the Sox for a few years now, what really was fascinating to me was the magnitude of failure that's a part of the game. Mm. Could you talk about that and the effects it has and how critical it is for the players that you managed in those great, great A's teams, the great Cardinals teams, how how critical is it to manage that mindset that failure is a part of success?
0: Well, you you hit probably the most essential part, especially in baseball, <clears throat> because you know the, the, you know the great example everybody uses. <clears throat> if you're a real good hitter, you hit 300. That means that you get three hits and ten at bats, or you average three hits and ten at bats. That means you make seven outs. <laughs> so because it's a competition and you're playing against other teams that have talent and they keep score, you know, you don't win all the time. And, uh, and things are going to go wrong. There's going to be adversity, uh, failure of, of in comes in many shapes and for, and in sizes. And what you learn is that to be productive at the, at the major league level, like you know, at the beginning of the show, somebody, I forgot which one of you guys mentioned, I might have been Marcus says somehow that life, uh, is, there's an analogy to baseball and, and, you know, in life, you know, the, the stuff that you go through in baseball with a team and, and playing a season and trying mm-hmm. to win, it's analogous to what people go through in their lives. Well, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of truth to that. And what you find is that the people that are productive, the guys that are productive, the teams that are productive major league level, they have a mental... And physical toughness. And part of that mental toughness is to recognize that failure is gonna be there. You don't ever give in to it. What you end up doing is understanding how what a learning tool it is. Mm-hmm. You know, you can you can learn by hey, what well, now why did we lose? What did I do wrong? You figure it out and then you're gonna fix it. So I think that uh uh looking at at that how the game is played and, and being successful that mental and physical toughness see that's not that's not a talent man that isn't how fast you can run or how hard you throw the ball that comes from your you know a commitment you make to use your brain and connect it to your heart and your guts and that, that's something any of us can do
1: I love it mm. one of one of the great Other facets of baseball that I found fascinating and which I'm sure was not as fascinating to you as a manager was the different mentalities between, you know, your infield versus your pitching, the different types of games that are going on, the batter versus the pitcher, you know, all of the different nuanced things that are happening in these this team orientated sport that's really about individual competition that's spread out across you know 9 innings and 162 regular season games what did you look for in a player to determine whether or not guys were going to have that mental toughness in those different fights
0: well it's you know it's the uh, the power of observation uh, you know <clears throat> there's a big uh, issue there are big issues now in, in sports uh, about baseball in particular about formulas you know and computer computer uh, generated information and uh, and I say all that mm-hmm. stuff is great and necessary, but you know that, that type of analytics is is useful, but observational analytics is is just as useful. So you're observing guys, in those clutch situations, and uh, and and you're 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 seeing how some guys are, uh, you know, they can be intimidated. You know, they can they can try to avoid the big moment. They're afraid. You know, they, hmm. there's an old saying about, you know, a fear. There's good fear and bad fear. Well, the bad fear is the one that you're so afraid that you're gonna embarrass yourself or let somebody down that you call in sick. Well, good fear is the one that you see the same potential to do bad and, and you just make sure that you prepare so that you do your very best at every minute so that that good fear will will propel you so you'll see the, which guys are going to back off and which guys are going to charge forward and that's the stuff that you that you observe uh, but I think the thing that's to me is so fascinating about baseball is what is what you mentioned David They. It's it's a team sport that's full of individual matchups, pitcher hitter, you know, defender offence, offense. And uh, <clears throat> what you try to tell your guys, you know, as a as a team, we put them all together. But you personally have to be accountable to contribute your piece. Amen. It's like watching over your family. As your family
2: grows and the young ones come in, you you, you kind of got to look and evaluate. And the stats tell you everything, but they can't tell you behavior. Or the situation or the mood that's about to transpire or go down at any given moment. That's why it's so relative to life. And you get the new kids come in, you got to start all over and retrain them and pull them into the, into the fold. And if, it is one of those deals. I mean, they could be the, the the perfect player, but if, if they, if they have a bad attitude and you throw them in a, in a ring full of guys that they don't get along with, then there's going to be that distinction among the ranks. So, Navigating through all all those emotions and people and at any given time is just like being a dad, man.
0: Part of what our formula has been, you know, derived from military. And that is, you know, we tried to, you know, establish that respect and trust among ourselves mm-hmm. and uh, be accountable to each other. I mean, that's exactly what, what we work on day in and day out. And that, once you get that going, you know, then you figure out how you're going to play the game.
1: Absolutely. Now Marcus, you you talk about man when you got became a chief in Ramadi, how that sense that paternal influence really kind of took hold of you and what how critical it was to go from being, you know, the lead door kicker to now man, I got to think on that next level. And Tony, mm. I'm hearing the same thing from you. You, you know, for 16 years you were grinding it out, and then all of a sudden, now you're a player coach, and then you move into, you know, full-time management. Was it hard to let go of the player mindset and and really move more into that paternal influence?
0: For me, it was easy because I'm such a lousy player. <laughs> <laughs> I heard him say that before. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I, I, if I could, I'd burn every stat that comes up there <laughs> as they did do my playing career. But what I found that uh, once I got into managing was I could stay in the game I loved and uh, and do it, you know, as a coach. You know, and uh, I like the managing part best because, you know, you. You know you had uh, you had more responsibility but I certainly respected the coaches who were teaching and you know that's that's part of uh you know my good fortune but I think that that tra- that transition uh, when you realize what responsibility you know that's one thing if just as an example if you the major league manager think who you're responsible to there's an owner or ownership that trusted you there's a front office that hired you you got fans that are really interested, fanatical about your team, and you're responsible to put to do something about how that team competes and entertains folks. And then you're responsible to the organization and the team itself. They're looking to you to say, "Hey, put us in a position to to win." You and your staff. So uh, I take that a lot from my you know way I was raised. But uh, that responsibility is I, I took very. I do. I still take very seriously uh and it motivates me every day
1: you know tony we had Mm -hmm. dinner the other night and one of the profound things that really hit home to me was when you started talking about growing up in tampa and the fact you know you know you, you came from two different cultural backgrounds can you talk about that early childhood influence and that grit and determination and and how your your parents seeded that in you
0: well, I was born in Tampa, as you said, David. Uh, in fact, my mother and dad—my my mother's family is Spanish from Spain, and my dad's was from Sicily. So uh, they met. You know, Tampa in the old days was famous for making cigars. They had a lot of cigar companies, and they met in a cigar factory. Uh, so you know, when I was making reference to which. Do you like best, and you know I like the older days better because <clears throat> the families. You know we had, you know financially we did, we had what we needed. We didn't have anything extra, so we did a lot of things as as a large family. You know, from my mother's side, my dad's side, we'd just go to some park and you know they'd have a picnic and we all the kids would play. Well, the thing that uh, as I got older, you know I I really understood the concept of family. And, uh, you know, having people that cared for you and, and you wanted to return it, uh, as, as I got, um, uh, older, um, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm struggling kind of how to explain it, but, uh, uh, I, I felt like that those values were exactly what I was taught and I wanted to re- represent. You know the, the rest of my life. Awesome. And 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 uh, you know, and I give I, I give my folks and my, and my family credit for that. And then every place that I went in baseball, you know, it, it was co signed by all the men, all the mentors. Wow, hmm. that's uh, wow, that's very that's you get that position. It's kind of like the center there. of the
2: hourglass. With in the LPO, that's where I got right. So it's. <laughs> as you're feeling everything from the top as it's coming down, so you go into the boss's office and get ripped three ways a Sunday, then you walk down into the men, like, what do they say? You're like, <clears throat> we need to uh, do better. <laughs> <It's kinda> <laughs> <laughs> you just alleviate that stress in, in both capacities, and it's um, stepping off the line is tough. When, you, when you're around the boys and they're happy, we're all happy. If they're upset or something, you kind of leave and let them be upset and get over it. But if you're in that position, then you have to deal with it. Not only do you... Like it when they're happy, but you got to deal with it when they're mad. That's what
0: leadership's about, isn't it? Yes, sir. Amen. You know, it's not. It's, it's not all patting them on the back all the time, and hey, tell them they're 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 right when you know they're wrong. You know, so it's. I did have one other thing, you know, uh, which I I I know it, it imprinted on my life. My dad, you know, uh, my mother was a homemaker. My dad was a real hard laborer. Six days a week, uh, what he did for most of this, of his working life, he drove the big, uh, the big wholesale milk trucks that, that take milk to stores and restaurants and so forth. He did that six days a week, get up at three in the morning, come back at, you know, five or six at night, only mm-hmm. half Sunday off. And when I was in school, you know, I was a, I was an athlete, my dad, and I said, you know, I knew we didn't have any extra money. And I said, you know, I, you want me to go to work during the summer? Uh, you want me to do something after school? He says, no, as long as as long as long you're taking care of your schooling and you're serious about athletics, and that time it was baseball, I, I, I want to make sure that, that you get the opportunity that he didn't have as a kid. Wow. And I can remember thinking back, you know, I remember my dad working so hard that, you know, to give uh, my sister and I and our family the very best he could. Well, that that, that imprinted me the rest of my life. I'm, yeah I'm, I'm sure how could it not
3: i want to um kind of go back a little bit and we were talking about the analogous nature between sports you know being so useful there against life not just in baseball but and also our listeners come to this show and people you know are looking for uh looking for advice and one of the elements of life as it is in sports is sometimes going through a rut you know how does a person turn you know the tide when when it seems like you're just trapped in a spiral of failure and as a manager, as a coach, as a mentor, I'm sure you've had to deal with that um, in your career. And how, what kind of guidance do you give? Did you give players? Did you, give, did you have for your team to pull out of that?
0: Great question. Yes, yes it is. Uh, well, you know, <clears throat> on a general basis, what I was taught when I started managing in minor leagues. Uh, I had the good fortune, you know, part of my my playing career, my logic playing career, I did sit the bench in the big leagues a few times, and one of them was for a Hall of Fame manager named Dick Williams, and, and he really taught me a lot. And then when I started managing, I could ask him, I could ask him questions, and one of the things that he told me, he said, as a manager, you have a responsibility to develop a strategy for every situation you face. Now early on, I had I didn't know what that really meant. You know, I thought, what well, you know about changing pitchers, or uh, you know, when to hit, run, or or steal, but then it was more specific, and and uh, so over the years, you know, you run into and the issues. Like one of them is, you know, you talk about being in a rut, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if there's some type of adversity, well, we developed or learned a strategy for how how. As an individual or a team, we were going to deal with adversity. If if we were going to deal with pressure, you know, if you know if you if you want to try and and and, uh, and win games, they don't just happen because you go out there. You know, they happen because you make it happen. Pressure attaches. So we had we had strategies for how we handle mistakes, how we how we were going to become a family. And one of the things about adversity is you can never let it beat you. And and you know you start by addressing, you know, being honest about the adversity, uh, you look for every bit of help that you can, you know, you, and and one of the key little phrases that, uh, that we were taught and I taught afterwards was, you know, we concentrated on what we had, not what we didn't have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you get in a rut and you know, you're thinking about Mm -hmm. woe's me and you're getting all depressed and and negative and frustrated well you know all that does is just sap energy out of your body you just lay there feeling sorry for you or sit there feeling sorry for yourself right so we always uh, looked at it and and uh instead of concentrating what you didn't have we on what we had well you got the opportunity to fix something or do this or do that uh look at all the pluses that you got so you know it's you know it's kind of a i, I don't mean to go on this too long but the idea was oh, that you wanted great. a strategy for everything, and, and we had a strategy for ruts and and adversity, and and even you know, if, like the Boston Red Sox went one hundred games. You know, we had a strategy of how you handle success. Yep. You know that you don't, you know, you don't start walking around like we call it digging yourself. You know, you you just you know handle it with uh, some humility and, and just stay hungry.
1: I love it. Now, one of the things that is fascinating to me is. You're, you you've been to the World Series 6 times. You've won 3, you've lost 3. Can you talk about the differences be in, in general terms, the differences between, you know, winning teams and in te- losing teams and and what you can noticeably see in those differences?
0: Um I, I think the easiest thing to, 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 to do to answer that question is if you take the regular season, because <clears throat> that's really the most difficult thing. You play for six months, 162 games, and you have winning teams and losing teams. And, you know, sometimes uh, there is a distinct talent difference. You know, you got to have talent to win. Right. But there are a lot of times that uh, teams with less talent, but are smarter and tougher and, and execute the game. the game of baseball is supposed to be played correctly, you know, execution and, and grind it out every day. So you can look at teams that just mentally uh, go out there and Hey, whatever happens, happens, you know, they're not as tough. They can be intimidated. They celebrate too much when they're ahead. And then when they lose a couple games, you can't find them. You know, they're, they're in that rut, but mm. If you talk about the World Series and you talk about the playoffs, see, there's a, that's, there's a difference there, and the difference is if you're one of the eight teams that gets into the, the, the last three rounds of the playoff, division series, championship series, and World Series, then those are all winning teams, and that's that, that's it, it's hard to answer that about World Series because we got in six times, hmm. the three times we lost, you know, there are things that we identified. There are a couple of them, that I really felt that I didn't do a good enough job as a leader, that to, to get them to, you know, re, reset their focus on 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 the getting four more wins. See, mm-hmm. so, but a losing team during the season, you know, there's a lot of things that, that, that you can point to. Uh, some, and it goes beyond talent. It mostly has to do with your willingness to learn and improve, and and we talked about before your toughness, right, by going out there and grinding day on day out.
3: So what would you say would be one of the greatest killers towards success? What is one of the worst things that a team can do?
0: Uh, Well, I'll give you one. And, you know, I got to say I read books. I remember one time I read Pat Riley's uh, Showtime. Awesome book, Pat Riley. Yeah, and he he talked about the disease of more. And what he meant with that is that you have a team that's successful and – and they were a team, and everybody contributed. Everybody you know stuffed their ego in their pocket, and then when you, after you won, now everybody's looking for more. They're looking for more attention, more money, more this, more that, and and what you find is that handling success very often is a problem because it's human nature, especially nowadays. You know when you got your family, your friends, your agents. Tell you, hey, man. It's, it may be a team game, but you got to get yours. Get yours, you know. <laughs> so I think that, uh, that w- what you learn is that you know you you, you got to keep per- success in a, in a certain perspective, and that perspective is that uh, you know be be uh, respectful of of winning and respectful of those that, that you beat, but don't 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 get carried away where you lose yourself.
2: That's going to be one of the hardest things to deal with to keep everything on a level playing field, no pun intended, but it went because people make different salaries. They play different positions. They got different personalities and to strip all, all that away from, that's what the uniform is so great about. When you're going out into the arena, Oh, that doesn't matter. Right. Cause you, you can't point that out to them every time. They, if they point out to you how much money they make, then you can point out how much, money you should take away from them when they miss or mess up, right? <laughs> you know, like, I thought you, you just told me the other day that you were this money. Uh, I figured you wouldn't miss that. You know what I mean? <laughs> you can't do it. <laughs> all that money and all that extravagance, man, that's for the family. I mean, you kind of put it in your head. Like I, I'm, uh, I'm just here for the battle to come in every day. And I'm not training for a game. I'm re- it's repetitive motion. I'm training to survive against the, the, the enemy that comes in to take this away from me. And you never, I mean, anybody can, the the problem is is not like with us when you're on deployment, when we get back, I know exactly where we go, right? When you get back after a game, everybody leaves. Yeah.
0: Right. They go home
2: and they, you know, even if you do try and talk about it, you can't talk
0: about it enough. Well, that's one of the real challenges to leadership and professional sports now. You know, there's, there's, there's such discrepancies between, what teammates are making, you know, the quarterback makes a fortune and maybe the defensive rusher and stuff. And the other guys are grinding the pranks every day and making the blocks and doing all, you know, they're, they're not compensated the same way, same thing in baseball. And, you know, what I was taught and, 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 uh, uh, and I, it, it works is, you know, when you're the leader, you lead. And so I would just set, as a philosophy, you know, a verbalized, I don't care. Well, I mean, I, we, cause I would always, but we as a coaching staff, we as an organization, we don't care how much money you make. That's your personal, uh, business and more power to you. But what we look at is we, you know, what's our challenge. And that is to, as a team to play baseball and win games and you're supposed to contribute. So, you know, we didn't, uh, I was never, I was never, you know, and like I say, I'm not—I got probably the biggest card you ever met. But I was never afraid to tell a player the truth or to confront them about, you know, what was right and wrong. And the first thing I would tell them, you know, I, mean, I, I had players are as a young manager making much more more than I was making. Well, it, it's mm-hmm. but you know, I had the office; they had the locker man. So I would say, "This is what you need to do." It. I don't care how much yeah. you're making.
3: <laughs>
1: Now, what's what I love about what you're talking about is really the establishment of of that hierarchy and how critical it is in terms of achieving objectives. Uh you reference Pat Riley. I know you're you're good friends with Bill Belichick, arguably one of the greatest coaches in NFL history. When when you guys are together, are there common traits that that don't change over the course of time or because everybody's screaming, oh, these new millennials or it was a different day and age or all this. Are there some common traits that no matter what, uh, our our great leaders know these and apply these?
0: Good question. Well, the biggest misconception in sports today at the professional level uh, is that uh, millennials are different. Yeah, they could be if you gave into it. But here's Belichick and there's Popovich, right? They're they're well into their years and they're still producing champions. Why? Because they're relevant. And uh, you know, we talked about it before. If you're around, I've never been around Coach Popovich's situation much, but I've been around Bills. When you see the way that team is bonded and the acceptance that they that they have to be as great as they can be and, and how every person takes accountability you know it, it, it that comes from talking about you know you know what what are the, what are the basics about how we're going to create this family feeling well respect and trust then you know what's the value of practice you know how do you develop skills that become automatic once the game starts you got to work, you know, repeat, 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 repeat. It's hard. You know, you just can't mm-hmm. half-ass the the drills. you got to concentrate on them, and then you take it into the game. So, you know, what you have in common is that those basics have been around 100 years, <laughs> and you've got to build the way you play the game on those basics. And here's another one. Every year, this is one of the most important. Like John Madden, you know, he's from back where I live in the Bay Area. I had lunch with him. At least once or twice, I had the great good fortune of having lunch with him, and on several days, Bill Walsh. Wow. That's how you learn. And they was and, and Coach Madden said the biggest thing you got to do every stinking year is when you start camp, you got to start at zero. Everything starts at zero. How you how you put the uh, the team concept together? How you how you remind them how they're going to bunt, base run, hit, catch everything? Start at zero, build it step by step.
2: Oh yeah, everybody makes some mistakes. It's saying the millennials or God, wh- wh- whatever you want to say—that's the next version off the line. That's the next thing coming. You can't get rid of them. That's this is it. This is what's coming up, man. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's what are you time. talking about? You <laughs> and You're that's like, right, you we are going to skip were... them or something? And it's, it's just, depending on where they come from and because technology, whatever you can get into all the who's and what's or why they are the way they are. It doesn't matter, man. They're with you now, and once humans can be trained to do anything, you can take that bad part away. I mean, it's just, it's discipline. That's all it is, man. And they're, it, he's got them. Let me tell you something about the Williams. I work with them every year and they are smarter, faster, stronger, just like they should be. I mean, right. remember what they said about our generation? I do. <clears throat> I remember what they say about every generation. They didn't right? say you were faster. was good No, you at that point. Definitely not fast. Well, I mean, yesterday, but, but it's like the thing, man, you get them in and it's a uh, man. It's your kids. It's a family, right? And in a, in a, in a if you do something in life where where your whole identity revolves around the family, it doesn't matter what's coming up. It's coming up. Everybody open up right. and get ready and see what's coming in, then you surround them, embrace them and mold That's them. Right. That's what happens.
1: Well, I watched you do it yesterday with those two boys out here who you were given kind of the old beat down, but you know, dropping knowledge on them about what the responsibility is in the future should they, on the unlikely event make it through training become navy seals and what that means i mean it's and and to go back to you tony you you know one of the things that really stood out to me was that concept of you know the the tangible intangibles could you describe (laughs) those and what you mean by that and how you see those in people and and really bring them out of
2: them
0: well uh I'm, i'm glad you mentioned that um because I think it's one of the strongest arguments that you can make about, uh, if I go exactly with Marcus and just because of millennials, millennials, you just don't discount and say, well, we give up, can't reach them. You know, they're not going to be, they can be everything that your generation was as long as you, if you take, take the clutter away, you know, and all the distractions. Well, what we try to do is, you know, if, if you want to build a team that's got real togetherness and and toughness, uh, those are those are uh, decisions that you make, you know, from from your mind. That they, I'll, okay, I want to be part of this. You know, like we had a saying as a manager. You know, we never, I never grease a squeaky wheel. I tried to correct them, but I took care of the guys that bought into the team concept. And if you right. didn't buy into that, we didn't want you. You know, so um, you know when you go into it, um, the, the, the thing that, that that it comes back over and over again is that yeah, how fast does he run? You can see that, but when you see a team that's pulling together, that you know, and, and hey, we know if I didn't come through, I knew somebody else would come through, and and you see team the guys on the team that cared for each other, they respected, they trust each other, well. You can see a team go through and you can see it. But that's really not tangible. It's intangible. But it's so mm. it's it's so there that you feel that's what I call it tangible and tangible. You know? Yep. Toughness toughness is a tangible intangible. You know? Hard work and hard effort, yeah, you know. So it, but uh mm. and I think at bottom line, it, it, you know, that's where success starts and that's where it uh it continues. You know, if, if mentally that frame of mind is not something that you have developed and every year you treasure, respect, and keep it going, you, you, won't, you won't be able to have longevity. and You may, ne- may never even ex- experience success in the first place.
2: Oh, yeah. You got a kid who comes in, man, who's just knocking the cover off the ball for the first two seasons, and then, then all of a sudden he's in a hit slump. That's a, He didn't forget how to hit. There's something going on in his head. Something's happening.
1: That's right. Exactly. He's, there's,
2: there's, you know, that's these guys are pros, man. They've they've hit that ball so many times. You got a guy who all of a sudden ain't doing it. There's something going on outside. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: I mean,
2: period. That's the only thing that's going on, right? You just I mean, we saw
1: some teams too. Just, it was mo- the guy. More, yeah, stopped having fun. Yeah, the guy that was struggling. And something got in the way of yeah, you it, having family fun. Family problems and, or something. And that's like that's usually that, yeah, right? Yeah, it's something but. that
2: anything that can cause you to not. Especially these great players man who can do all that when they come in and when they hit that slump and that's the that's usually the well one of probably seven deadlies right it's yeah. pride, or when something's just overshadowed like am i that good you know you start second guessing like man let's get to hit the damn ball
0: something's <laughs> going on in your head hey <laughs> well, you know there's another there's another part to that too suppose the guy is struggling and and let's say you got two guys that are struggling one guy's struggling because he's trying too hard, you know, he's just suffocating his ability. Yeah. Another guy yeah. is struggling because he's just mailing it in, man. He just don't give a crap. He's not really putting a whole effort into it, right? Well, as a leader, you better read which one of that it is because if it's the guy that's trying too hard and you get on his case because you're not getting it done, man, you just gotta you gotta get more into it. Well, he's liable to explode. Right. He's a he's a guy you gotta tell, hey man, just breathe and relax. Well if you got a guy that's half stepping and you put your arm around and say, "Hey, man, you're going to be okay." with you know, hey, that's the guys you got to put your foot up his ass because you got to read the situation, and that's where leadership comes in. Amen. Like
2: dying, diagnosing the wrong, mm-hmm. <laughs> the wrong.
1: Ailment. Giving, yeah. yeah,
2: giving the wrong medicine. Wrong medicine, and,
0: and, that's right.
1: And that's what great leadership is, right? Great leadership See, is back like, That's not
2: what's going on with him. There's something else. Yeah, <sighs> yeah.
1: Yep. Well, Tony, one to wrap it up here. One of the things we always ask of of our guests is to try and give, you know a, a couple pieces or one or two or three pieces of information that you believe that can be the igniter, the spark, if you will, to for that listener that's sitting at home that's really battling something that's struggling to get back in the game to get out to the plate and to really just breathe like you were saying. What, what are some uh, a few things that you really hold near and dear to your heart after the really miraculous, incredible career you've had and the profound impact you've had on, I don't even know how many Hall of Famers, but what are some, some things that you could suggest to our listeners to help them get up there and, and start hitting away?
0: Well, one of the first would be if you're fortunate enough to get into something that you have a passion for. And, you know, sometimes you may really love to do this and, and, and your line of work is something else. But if you had a choice at the beginning, try to pick something that you really, really have a passion for because it releases a lot of energy and the willingness to, to learn and work. The other thing that that I, I think we should all realize, is the power that's within us, if we seriously are interested in making whatever it is happen? Amen. Like let's just say you make a commitment. You know, let's just say you want to work out, mm. and uh, and you work out for a couple weeks, and then you lose interest. Well, if you if that thing was important enough to you, and that's the point I'm making. If there's if 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 you see something and you make it and you control your mind and it becomes something that's really important to you what it does and we talk about this with our teams all the time it unleashes amazing strengths whether they're mental strengths adrenaline that gives you physical strength you know conviction commitment whatever it is so my my you know when I talk to kids for example I talk you know if you can pick a passion that's great but don't be afraid be afraid to not take a shot and then regret it the rest of your life. Make sure, you know, if you go out there and, and, and fasten on to something that you really believe in, what's going to happen is, is you're going to find all these abilities and strengths that are within you that you unleash them, and, and you'll you'll accomplish stuff that you almost would never dream of.
1: Amen. Amen. Well, sir, mm-hmm. uh, thank you so much, Uh I got to tell you on a personal note, just in the short amount of time that I've known you and in the one time that we, we got to go to dinner recently, the impact you're already having on me is profound. And I just know in my heart that, you know, what you do every day and, and the impact you have and the impact you'll have on this show and our, our listeners is also going to be profound. So I can't thank you enough, sir, for your time today, and and uh, just thank you.
0: Well, uh, you ought to know that it's my honor to have been involved with the three of you. Uh, I'll tell you very quickly, and everybody that knows me for years knows this. Once I realized what uh, people in the military have uh, provided to some all of us who are you know living in this country uh, and the sacrifices they make, I never. Ever talk about hero? Uh, if the guy gets a game-winning home run, he's not a hero. If he does some of the courage, those things are, are reserved for, for for what you guys do. And and uh, and I'm, it's I it was my pleasure to be a part of this. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. A great well, honor.
1: Good luck in the playoffs. I hope to see you out there, and uh, we'll talk soon. God bless you.
0: Okay. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Bye. Bye.
1: Bro, dude, you just nailed it, right? You just nailed it. That's like having your grandfather on
2: the show. Yeah. Seriously. When he starts to answer the, que- answer the question before we finish, so if you think, well, yeah, it's a, I know where you're going. Right <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> I know you got to figure it out. <laughs> and, know, wealth not, and knowledge, right? I mean, it just ends up, Plus, he's in with baseball, man. You, you're, you're gonna lose. Well, it's not it's not losing either, man, because it's a, it's a series. Most people don't think it's like, oh, I lost the game. Well, no, it's multiple. You got to keep going. And, it, and that's the battle. And that's why it's so unique to life, really, man, because it's got those flashy moments. Sometimes you hit it out of the park. Sometimes you think you hit it out of the park and you don't. And you hit the wall or. Well, you hit you.
1: You fail more than you do well in baseball. Right. And for me, that's the crazy thing. You're learning after you start over. Uh, you know, I played a little bit as a kid that I talked about before, you know, an in intro, but it, you know, now working with the Red Sox for three years, it in understanding the grind, right? The daily grind and managing that failure day in and day out. Nobody really, other than Connie Mack, right? The old manager from the you know, back in the day, nobody has managed that failure better than Tony Larusa, and and Wizard, you were saying it when he opens his mouth. There's this free flowing sense of truth based on the level of what he's experienced.
3: When he taught, when he's when he's speaking on these topics, he's has so much of a wealth of experience in his life that it just it flo- it flow it flows out of him in these well just packaged ideas, which we, we just saw that. I mean, really, you go back and listen to that several times, and just deconstruct it before you really, really grasp everything he laid down there. I mean, there are some guests that and he's one of them that um, we, he we could bring him back on and talk to him for another three hours, and
2: <laughs>
1: right, we, we would just keep
3: unearthing more. Yeah, yeah
2: right? <laughs> imagine the comment he I, as he watches the game, watches it unfold. I guess from the first. Time they put their foot on the ground. And they go out, or from the first hit, he's going to know how that game is going to be played, right? And just kind of weather it from there in his head, because he's watching his family. He's like, all oh, right, my kids are out there. Let's see who's showed up." Right? Well, he, totally. Well, what I what uh-huh. I've
1: learned about him, he te- he keeps meticulous notes yeah. of every game he watches, every game he's ever been a part of. He has these. He's this uh, remarkable note taker. So uh-huh. he has reams and reams and reams of 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 notebooks or journals filled with what he's learned over the course of, you know, since he's been in baseball, 1973. Really a book on how to deal
2: with everybody's reality. I mean, it's that's, yeah, that's kind of one of them deals where he's, he has to learn how to deal with each individual person in the family. Well, he's got
1: a, a remarkable book out there called one last strike. And I highly recommend everybody read this thing. Uh, There's also uh, another book with Joe Buck, the famous uh, baseball sports commentator. You know him, right? You know him real well. We got to get him on the show. Can can you call him? We got to get him on, yeah. We got to get Joe Buck. Well, and then, you know, Troy. Who?
2: Troy Eamon. Oh, bro. Another sick leader. And and Troy. Those two guys are awesome.
1: Oh, so. You know, go check out their books as well, and you'll find just a wealth of information from from Tony Larusso. I'm telling
2: my Joe Buck story. I was at dinner with him and Melanie, and and Troy was there. I forget what we were doing, but anyways, you know I'm a watch geek, and yeah. he, I was like, "Hey, let me uh, what do you got on your wrist there?" <clears throat> and, and Melanie's like, "Oh, he's like I took it off," and I was checking it out. It was nice, you know. And, man, it's like, that's just a tough watch. And then we were walking back. down. we were walking. Uh, couple blocks to the hotel or whatever. I was like, hey, you want to see that thing again? It, I mean, it was nice. And uh, I gave back to him. Then I went back on the road. Melanie came home, and she's just... About three weeks later, she's like, you ain't going to believe what just showed up in the mail, and he sent me a watch. He sent you that watch? Yeah. Wow. I know. Wow. Every time I put it on, I take a picture and send it to him. Thanks for the watch. That's awesome, you man. You Yeah, I can. Really? Yeah. It blows my mind. I was just like... <laughs> I think him every every time I look at it.
1: Yeah. No, it totally makes sense Man. to me, for sure. Yeah, something. Well, I mean the time he spent with you was probably pretty powerful and that's, oh, yeah. you know, Oh, I yeah. Mean, so, so good.
3: You know, I yeah. I get around, like, tell me everything.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Give hey, it all. Hey, one thing before you you go into the reader store and all that stuff, I just want to bring back when he was talking about Focusing on what you have and not what you lack yeah. when you're trying to pull yourself out of a, a rut or a hole, you're just. By the way,
1: I take personal offense to the rut comment. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Every time you said it, I was
2: everybody like, says rut. Uh, and I'm like, I'm God, not it's, I'm not a rut, am I? You're in a rut. We have him with us all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We just we bring, we bring, a we bring a rut with
3: us. We I'm, bring with, we depend on a rut. Actually. I'm sorry
1: for interrupting you, wizard. Go ahead, because what you I know the, the point. But I really like
3: the two things that came out of, out of that question. One was to focus on what you have and not what you lack. Yeah, right. It's so easy to say, you know, we need more of this and we need more of that, and it's this. It's the fault of this person or that situation. And focusing on what you have and then constructing a solution to get out of that, and then. Also, before that, him talking about how it's it's part of a leader to have constructed strategy prior to, this is your responsibility, so you know how to deal with yes. it. It's not that a leader necessarily just develops a strategy and what to do next on the spot when the problem presents itself. These things, and this is the responsibility of a leader, is to have gone through as much as you can possibly conceive of of of, of encountering. When you're out there in the field and when you're out there in whatever, for, in whatever form. In life. And then have an answer and a strategy to confront that so that when it hits, you can immediately employ it. Oh, yeah. Handspan. That's what you want the male or
2: female, the one – everything kind of comes together and we lock it right down because with this person – that's who that is. Well, they've been it, through so much. They can talk to both sides of it, right? Totally. And then they've seen both sides of it, good and bad. The perspective over years and time, and all the scars and wrinkles and all that, the stories that come with it. Man, that's that's the one you want. <laughs> in that, in that center of the hourglass, that's the one you want. It can take anything, been through anything, and kind of lays it all out. Like this is what we got. Let's go
3: this direction.
1: Yeah. That, that's a powerful and There's a influence. reason why
3: leaders are tend to be ex- older, experienced people. <laughs> I mean, you think? that's a great point. <laughs> Chariz- Charisma, Charisma and, um, only gets you so far. And or, bravado. And yep. Bravado only gets you so far. Well, listen. If,
2: oh,
1: yeah,
3: that
2: goes away in the hard times.
3: If you're just kind of standing there with that
2: right? big smile on your face that got you in there, then people are like, all right, well, what let's, next? Because you had that beautiful smile. And we thought you, know, you had all this. Weird, you can run out of talent real fast. fast. <laughs> run out I mean, of talent. Real What's Paul say?
3: He's like, hey man, you've been doing this and just run out of talent? <laughs>
2: that me all the time.
3: <laughs> I love that statement. Yeah, so except he's a super bad. bike racer. Yeah, so
2: know, the, like, consequences the corner, are a little and I different. Hard, and I was doing good, man. Just ran out of talent. <laughs> <laughs> and I could just see him running out of talent and talking totally. across the road. Totally. Epic.
1: Oh, my God. If this is your first show and you're coming over from somewhere else, you're a baseball fan or you're somewhere else, we're, we're just so privileged and honored to have you now. Thank you so much. You're joining uh, a, a team of, of really remarkable people. Our followers and fans are, are incredible never-quitters themselves, and, and we're just so proud to have you all be a co- part of this because without you— uh, we simply we wouldn't exist and and we wanna thank you for that.
2: Yeah, you uh, got shifted over. No no more followers and fans, y'all are teammates now. Yeah, teammates. Right, That's the way we now. like to
1: call yeah. them is is teammates. And and one of the great aspects of our teammates is is you can go visit our website at tnqpodcast.com, dot com and if you get if you're up for it and, and and your batting average is looking strong and you feel like contributing Please write in your greatest never quit story or stories because I'm sure that you have something or someone you know, your your mom, your dad, your aunt, your uncle, your brother, sisters, cousins, I don't care who it is, just a friend. They've got a story that can help other people when they're struggling to get home.
2: And so right now, when he just said that, you're like, oh, I got a story, but it's not as good as the one I just heard. No, no, we're t- I'm talking exactly to you. Yeah, <laughs> that person <laughs> right there who just said <laughs> that did, in your head. Yep.
3: You're the one. Send it over here. Because, because every, no story speaks to every person, know, but every I, single is, story speaks to speaks to a person who is in that place at that time and that moment. Yeah, just the, the player is different. Just hey, the
2: player is different, right?
3: Yep. Uh, the and, situation
2: and, 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 the, and the outcome and all that, but the player is different. We want to hear how you navigated through that.
1: Absolutely. Because Ab- great stories ignite great legends. legends. All right, we've got one right here. This is from Mike. I'm not a SEAL, but I think my story might fit with what you guys are doing. In 1996, I was diagnosed with chondrosarcoma, a rare bone cancer. In 2005, my bone cancer I'd been fighting came back. During my previous encounter with my cancer, I'd had my left knee joint replaced. My doctor pronounced me cancer-free, and we thought our time with cancer was done. But cancer had other ideas and it came back eight and a half years later. The result of bone cancer's visit this time was having my left leg amputated. As before, the doctor said that there were good margins and the cancer appeared to be gone. Once more, we thought we were done with the bone cancer. But once more, it had other ideas. The tumors kept coming back. Each operation took maro- Each operation to remove one malignant tumor agitated the dormant tumors nearby. Cut one tumor out, and three more would pop up. Soon, the tumors were growing faster than my doctor could remove them. And, as often happens with chondrosarcoma, it began migrating through my system, and soon metastasized to my lungs. Then those tumors began to grow as well. My doctor threw in the towel telling me I would less than five years to live. He couldn't continue the surgery because it wasn't helping. He recommended palliative care and hospice. Five years or so left, and I was only 52 years old. The odds against us seem staggering. Chondrosarcoma is a rare form of bone cancer, accounting for only 250 of the 1.6 million newly diagnosed cases of cancer each year. If it metastasizes to the lungs as mine had, the survival rate after five years drops to below 50% rather rapidly. Put simply, things didn't look good. There were no 10K fun runs, pink ribbons, or cool buttons for chondrosarcoma. It's just you, the disease, and hoping you can find an effective treatment. Fear, helplessness, and hopelessness began crowding in. I tried to stay upbeat, but my mind flooded with images of life I'd be missing. Anniversaries and trips with Sarah. Celebrating our son Nick graduating from college. Walking our daughter Stephanie down the aisle. Holding our first grandchild. We found a clinical trial in Houston. But two months into the trial, we hit a roadblock. We found out I had been on a placebo drug the whole time not the trial drug itself. The doctors switched me to the drug right away, but this change meant the trial timetable had reset back to day one. Because of the reset, we would be enduring close to three more months of traveling to Houston every two weeks. The schedule change meant we also had another problem. We could only afford two or three more trips to Houston before we were out of money. We had went through savings, retirement accounts, and Sarah's inheritance paying for my travel. Now, there wasn't enough to keep going with my treatments. Suddenly, we were facing one of the worst decisions imaginable. Continue the treatments in Houston, somehow. Finances be damned, but put my family in the poorhouse. Or we could stop the treatment, let nature and cancer take their course, And hope my family could somehow continue without me. I couldn't bring myself to that choice. But the current path was a fast track to bankruptcy. I couldn't ask my family to starve in order to save me. But we couldn't afford to have me keep going to Houston or move there. I have never felt so trapped or helpless. Pay up or die. It was that simple. Through a friend of a friend, we found Lazarex Cancer Foundation and their mission of helping cancer patients to get to clinical trials. We desperately needed help, and with my travel costs, we applied to Lazarex for assistance. All of our hopes, fears, dreams, and quite literally my life riding on what they would say. A A few days later, the phone rang. It was Lazarex. They would start covering my airline tickets and hotel stays right away. I could stay on the trial. I could keep going to my treatment. I was going to live because of their help. I was going to live. As I entered my fourth year in the clinical trial of the AGO's pharmaceutical drug, AG120, I'm finding there are reasons to celebrate as my treatment has progressed. The drug has affected. Effectively stopped the growth and movement of my chondrosarcoma tumors. At the time when I started on the trial, my tumors were growing at an approximate rate of two to three centimeters per month. In the four years since, my tumor growth rate has been less than one, one tenth of one percent. Because of Lazarex, I've been able to keep working and supporting my family, despite losing my left leg to bone cancer and being in a wheelchair. I've been able to keep living and I've been able to keep the promise I had made Sarah and our children, Nick and Stephanie with our battle. When our battle started, cancer doesn't get the win. Not now, not ever. So that's my story. I'd be happy to talk with you further. In any case, continue and good luck with your podcast and your work. Supporting veterans such as yourself isn't a Republican or Democrat Democrat thing. It's an American thing. You guys have our profound gratitude and eternal thanks. All the best, Mike. Mike, brother, thank you. I I had a friend, Andrew Kako, die of cancer, bone cancer, a few years ago after a a two-and-a-half-year battle with it. And, man, I learned so much from him. My cousin's son also has been battled cancer, has been cancer free for many years. So I I I know it well and I have all the profound respect for all those out there who have fought in the hard fight and never g- quitting in their battle against cancer. And I thank you, sir, for contributing your story. I want to thank God. I want to thank Christ. I want to thank my girls and Jana my family and friends, all those I know that I've been around in my life playing sports since I was four through the teams, all those incredible leaders and mentors that have really taken the time with me to turn me into the man I am. I want to thank Tony because you truly are one of the greats in history, sir. One of the great managers in baseball, one of the great head coaches of all time in any sport. And I'm really excited at the fact that there's a potential that at some point you and I could become better friends.
2: Getting dealt that death card, it's tough, man. It puts everything into perspective. Amen. I got to use you a new flavor on life <laughs> and how you look at it and, and imagine. what's important to you. I don't know good job man you know when you get hit and even if they start cutting things off of you you got your heart and your mind and your soul you kind of just keep pushing forward and thinking about your family that's that's the trick right that's the medicine and lo and behold something shows up that's the trick man just that's just hold on right just hold on as long as you can and hopefully some of us show up and we will help but if it doesn't then you, you cross over then man give it the good fight so that's good on you for that brother and thanks for writing in and uh Mr. Larissa, you <laughs> have dropped some knowledge on us
3: <laughs> again.
2: It's kind of like uh, Sir Robert Ren Pelton. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sir Robert! <laughs> Robert. Sir about Robert. It, this is
2: one of those ones when we leave here, we go out, we're like, man, I know he said That's what he said. Yeah, yeah. That's what makes sense. I never heard it like that. Yeah. And that's the beautiful part about it, man. You get somebody with a lot of experience and uh, and perspective, and all they have to do is just say it a certain way, and it kind of chimes into your head. You're like, man, I, oh, I never so. really saw it like that, but... That makes complete sense now. And yeah. When when that happens, there's that that level of calm that comes over when something's explained to you in that direction. is amazing. And he did that a lot. So thank you for for the wisdom, actually, sir. It was uh, it was a joy to have you on. If everybody keeps bringing us back, man, I can't thank you enough. You guys really are. It's a it's a, a blessing to be on a team with you guys. It's and, uh, I don't have the vocabulary. Thanks to the to the wife for letting us do this, and the man upstairs for uh, letting us see another day. God bless you guys. I'm out. Ow.